Greetings from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on. A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my god, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is David Frangioni, CEO and publisher of Modern Drummer Magazine. So excited about our new podcast, The Modern Drummer Podcast. This weekly podcast will bring Modern Drummer to life. Sit back and enjoy fresh, fun, and insightful conversations with today's top drummers, producers, musicians, beat makers, and craftsmen. Whether you're a professional, a hobbyist, drummer, musician, programmer, producer, or just love music, this show is for you. Every other week, the Modern Drummer Podcast will feature world-renowned producer, songwriter, and drummer, Narda Michael Walden. Narda Michael Walden's Upbeat is featured exclusively on the Modern Drummer Podcast. Hey, everybody. This is your brother, Narda Michael Walden. Man, I'm so excited uh, about this week's uh, um, episode with the great historian, uh, the genius on the drums, who's visionary and has just made mountains move. I'm speaking of the genius Lenny White. Um, his first recording in life was with Miles Davis, and Miles was asking him to be the salt in the stew. And <laughs> on the Bitches Brew record, God bless a heart. Oh, my God, his story is phenomenal. We have so much respect for Lenny White. Um, I looked up to Lenny White. He's my teacher. He's a mentor to me. And I want you all to sit back and put this on your big screen in your theater and just get a box of popcorn and sit back and learn and watch and study Lenny. He's bringing down the history of, of life. In our lifetimes, we've seen all these great things happen. It's incredible. And, and look out when he speaks about the Magnificent Seven, who they are. I'm telling you, I'm gonna be a, there's going to be a quiz afterwards. Okay, this is your brother, Nara Michael Walton. Send love out. So much respect out. Please study and watch this great episode on Lenny White. All my love to you. God bless you. Bye-bye. Love you. Love you, Lenny. I want to sing a melody for you because I feel rough.
Lenny, love you, man. Love you for all the love you give. And uh, you've always been my inspiration. So here I want to say hi to you. Thanks for being on my show. And um, yeah, here we go. Okay. Yeah. Dressed up and everything, man. That's, you know. Beautiful. Great. Yeah. So and I, for all the all the success that you've had, I mean, I got to give much love to you too, because you've been an inspiration also. I mean, you've touched many many people a lot of different ways in what you have done. So kudos to you. <laughs> well, also. Uh... I gotta say just straight off the bat, man, uh, Raymond Gomez, you found so many great people, but Raymond really helped my life. And it's because of you on Venetian Summers and all the things you were doing at that time, that I was like, I, I've never heard a cat have that kind of, okay, he had drummer's, drummer's skills, he had jazz skills, but he was a rock cat. Yeah. And I was blown away by what you did with him. So I just wanna yeah. say again, you know, you know, he recorded his solo yeah. on Mating Drive. Yeah, that's right. Was before his solo on School Days. Right, that's right. Now, Stanley, Stanley just, I just spoke to Stanley, he said to tell you hello. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Now, Ray, Ray was a great find. I mean, he was amazing. Um, he had a sensibility that, no matter what kind of music he played, it, it came through. That's right. It was really great, you know. Also, uh, in your early band, I met Marcus Miller, and oh, yeah. another genius, and he was right there with you. Oh, yeah. And anything you want to say about him? Oh, Marcus Miller is Marcus Miller. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> see, see, you know, it's very interesting because there's a bunch of guys from Jamaica, Queens. That's right. That were really special musicians. You know, growing up in a neighborhood, like, you know, there's cats that could play. But all of these guys played at a level, being such young musicians, that you knew that they were going to be great musicians later on in life. And unlike uh, uh, Minneapolis, Minneapolis, they had a sound. Minneapolis and you know like it really was a sound that was a certain genre and it changed how everybody heard that genre but guys from Jamaica Queens were in all different kinds of genres it wasn't just R&B it wasn't this you know I mean actually for quite some time after he moved from Brooklyn Billy Cobham lived in Jamaica Queens Marcus Miller uh, uh, Bernard Wright, Donald Blackman, Denzel Miller. Uh, there were a, a, a lot of, Omar Hakeem. Mm -hmm. A lot of great musicians came from Jamaica, Queens. Oh, I know, man. And there was a house yeah. owned by a cat named Howie Great played drums. Of course, Howie and his Great. House, that's where I met Ronald Head Drayton. All them cats would just be in there just, just going out like, like warriors. I was like, damn. So much fire. It's right there, right now. <laughs> I know, I know. It was really great, man. I mean, like, that was a, it was a great time to grow up because 
there was guys from from my generation, and then the generation after that. See, you know, it, there's a word just called meritocracy, and a meritocracy is a group of people that are bound together by trying to keep a certain level of um, proficiency, and it moves that music forward. So as young musicians, we were all part of a meritocracy. I mean, playing with Weldon Irvine and doing all these different kinds of things, we learned about all different kinds of music. And matter of fact, I, w I was in a composition, a competition, excuse me, with, with uh, uh, it was called Jazz and Direction, Billy Cobham, George Cables, Clint Houston, um, who else was in there? Uh, Larry Coriel, uh, Jim Pepper. Uh, who else was in it? Uh, there was a bunch of people that were in this competition, and and Steve Grossman, and the band that Billy Cobham was in, called the, the Jazz Samaritans. They won the competition, okay. and so they got to play at uh, a club. I mean, they got to play at the Village Gate here in New York City, and so the competition went on again next the next year, and I was in the competition with a different band. And we actually became the band that Billy Cobham was in. Steve Grossman and I played in that band. And there were all these great, Benny Maupin, and there were all these great musicians that we met at that time period. And, you know, like it was really great to the point where Steve and I played for oh, such a great time, a long time, with the Jazz Samaritans. And then when I got an opportunity to meet Miles and play with Miles. I was over at Miles' house and I played him a cassette of <laughs> of a wedding reception that Clint Houston, George Cables, Steve Grossman and I played together. We played James Brown's Lickin' Stick. Mm -hmm. And I played it for Miles and that's how Miles hired Steve Grossman okay. from listening to that cassette. The licking yeah. stick. The licking stick. Yeah, I'm I love it. I love it. You know, man, I gotta say something. This, this, this. There we go again. James Brown. How oh, important the sound, the groove, the funk of James Brown. That's right. But see, that's what funk was. See, everybody says funk now, and James Brown was the funk. That's what I'm saying. James Brown was the funk. And I think. See, you, know, you you know you knew all about those things. Though. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I think that's why the jazz rock fusion that you're the pioneer, we for a lot of us of that of that era, we under we got that first hand hit of what James and Cass were putting down, took that into our jazz rock fusion. So it had that funk, that thing about it. That's why I think it it's successful to this day. Listen, when <laughs> yeah, we right. did it, <laughs> yeah. no, check that out. Now. When we did it, it wasn't called fusion. That's right. It that's was right. jazz rock. That's right. Because that's rock. exactly what it was. It was jazz musicians playing their version mm -hmm. of rock and roll. That's right. That's, that's exactly right. what it See, because you got to understand, Miles Davis was probably one of the, the all-time most famous musicians. This is the guy that played with Charlie Parker. And then a few years later, he decides to change and do something different with the music. So at that time, he's, he's a jazz musician, quote unquote, 
He didn't like to be called that, and I could understand that, because he was a musician. But the fact of the matter is, he decided to change it up, and him being that kind of a musician, playing his version of rock and roll. So it was jazz rock. That's right. That's right. And they, later on, they called it fusion. Or That's whatever, right. You know. That's right. That's right. The bands that we played in, mm-hmm. Mahavishnu Orchestra, mm-hmm. Return to Forever, That's right. uh, 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 Tony Williams' Lifetime, <laughs> Weather Report. Yep. That was with jazz rock bands. That's right. That's it was right. jazz rock bands. The fusion thing came along later. I don't, you know, somebody, I guess they didn't want to call it jazz rock, so they called it jazz rock. Ah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know. Well, what do you what do you feel, uh, Lenny? Um, you know, I just want to ask you. You you've done so much in music. You know, I listen. I had I had a chance this morning. I'm pushing my baby over here, uh, like a two mile stretch to get to the studio, and I'm listening to a lot of your music, and refreshing myself. And you've just done so much from straight up jazz to then hard rock almost. You know, I mean, death, like hey, you got a jam called heavy metal. Just you, you got so much music, and then you got straight up backbeat music. You got all kind of stuff you're into. Um, I'm a child. I'm a child of the 20th century. That's what I'm saying. Talk about that. Speak I, on that, man. You know, I'm a child of the 20th century, and and we know who we are. Yes. And it's very obvious who we are because we've been through so many different kinds of musics. We've played through so many different kinds of musics because if there was a type of music that was new to us, we found our way to play through it and to create another perception of that music. But you got to understand, we, when we did Bitches Brew in 1969, oh, yeah, that's right. after, after that, there were a whole different, a lot of different kinds of musics that happened. All, hip-hop. Hip-hop is something totally different now, but we were playing through the beginnings of hip-hop so when it changed, after 2000, it became something else. And now it is something else altogether. There were all the rock bands that were happening at that time, too. This is the same time, same time we made the music. Led Zeppelin was still playing music. Right. Right. Beatles had just finished. But there were so many other kinds of musics. You know, and then there's, uh, you know, uh, there's this girl that came... I don't know, I forgot her name, but she had a lot of hit records. Um, but, um, Houston? Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Okay. Right, Houston, right. man, Houston. Okay. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, so there's a lot of different kinds of things, Lord. I mean, and, and I think what was really, really fortunate for us is to have pushback. You know, when we made the music and still do make the music that we make, um, we do it to be authentic to what we feel. Right. And we have a whole lot of different kinds of musics to glean from, right. to take into consideration and to make new music. Mm-hmm. I believe that a 21st century musician has to have something from the 19th and the 20th century to make 21st century music. 
you just you just can't be you just can't be a 21st century musician and make 21st century music because I know a lot of people have that perspective, but music is a is an ongoing entity. It changes, but it gets its DNA from a generation before. And when those generations put it all together, it becomes a new perspective. It is within the 21st century, but it's just a new perspective. It's the same 12 notes. It's just, it's just how you play it. Lenny, man, you're, you're uh, I'm always blown away to talk to you, man. I feel like you're, 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 you're pure. I feel like you're just the salt of the earth. That's what they call you. Miles called you salt. You want salt in this, in this, in this stew. I can see why he wants salt in you and you the man, because you bring flavor in your purity. What you do is so authentic. And I love that about you. And here we live in a day and age when we, can you know watch all kind of cats on YouTube and all that kind of world? What is your message to people now in this time who are going to watch this interview? Is there some message you want to give out from your pure soul at this time? Well, you know, unfortunately, uh, one of the most basic, uh, um, one of the most basic things about humanity. Gathering is what humans do. Right. And that's that's been taken away from us. Right. You know, you you know, no, no. If you were in New York or if I was in San Francisco, I come, yo, what's going on? Right. We can't do that now. Yeah. Or if we do, we have to protect ourselves because yes. of what's done. I mean, what COVID's done. And the actual fact of congregating so many things have done through congregation dissension also worship sharing of information sharing of thoughts oh that's about congregation and we can't do those things right now so the only way we can uh, uh, continue to try to do that is through notes. I mean, what's even harder about that is that a lot of music that we create are not getting heard. There are a lot of musicians that are still making great music. Fortunately for me, I've gotten an opportunity now to, I've, I've had uh, some orchestral music that I've written for the past 20 years that no one's ever heard. Okay. But but now uh, the NYU orchestra where I teach is going to do uh, some of my orchestral music. Beautiful. And then Beautiful. COVID happens. Oh! Oh! <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. You know, but I'm still doing it. You know, they get, there's a, a couple pieces that they're going to do and they've been asked to write uh, a percussion ensemble piece. And so uh, I'm continuing to, to try to find some some uh, uh, music that I haven't heard 
yet mm-hmm. and try to, you know, do something with that. But all I can say is that we have to be able to wait it out. We have to have purpose. That's right. And as an artist, that's very, very hard to do right now because, you know, you wake up in the morning, you got a new tune that you're going to do, you got an artist you're going to do, you wake up, there's a purpose. Bam, you go to the studio, you know, that's what you're going to do. But with not having an opportunity to play, you know, like if you're getting ready to go do a tour, if you're going to do a tour in your band, you're going to do a tour with Jeff. Cool. You know, these are the dates you go, you get ready to do that. Right. Now, I don't know. You know? <laughs> I don't know. Right? I, I, I don't know. But, but, but we have to continue to be prepared right. for those opportunities. And all I ask people to do is to search. Don't sit and be idle. Search. There are many, many ways that you can cope with what the situation is, but you have to search. Mm-hmm. You have to search for purpose. That's right. That's right. I want to ask you about the Red Sparkle drum set with Jackie McLean that you first saw uh, the drummer. Well, no. It was... It wasn't. It wasn't Jackie. It okay. was uh, uh, Sil Austin, oh, okay. who, who was a, a, a saxophone player that had some R and B hits back in the okay. day. Okay. They were. He was a family friend of, okay. of ours, my dad's, and he had a drummer named Majid Shabazz. That's right. Okay. okay. And he had a red sparkle Gretsch drum kit. Right. And that was amazing. Yeah. It was absolutely amazing. And it stayed in my head, you know. Um, And, of course, all the guys that I listened to coming up, you know, they played Gretsch drums. The Magnificent Seven, all of them played Gretsch drums. So that became a fixation of mine, to to get that sound. Yes. Where Where did the title Magnificent Seven come from? Who put that together? Me. Here's what it was. Yeah. I was talking to Wallace Rooney and to Buster Williams one day. Mm-hmm. And I said, man, these the six guys right. that were the, the architects mm-hmm. of modern jazz drumming right. were Max Roach, right. Art Blakey, right. Elvin Jones, Billy Joe Jones, uh, Roy Haynes, and Tony Williams. And they said, wait a minute, you forgot Kenny Clark. Oh, yeah. I said, right. Yeah. That's seven guys. Okay. That's the seven. Okay. Kenny Clark, Art Blakey, mm-hmm. Max Roach, Philly mm-hmm. Joe Jones, Elvin Jones, Roy Haynes, Tony Williams. The Magnificent Seven. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Wallace Roney was here last year as a just a little visit, you know. I know. The, the young drummer. Um, oh, uh, Kojo? Yes, Kojo. Yeah, yeah. Just beating his cymbal, just, just going at it. And they brought a little yeah. alto sax player. He was very kind and very beautiful too. 
And Walter Emilio. Sat, yeah, Emilio. And Walter yeah. sat here on the couch and we just talked about things. He was very, very beautiful man. And oh, yeah. Recently. Yeah. There is hope. There's hope in, in the young musicians that are out there playing and right. representing the music. Yeah, man. Definitely. Yeah. So I love that you had such beautiful music in your family. Your mom and dad were playing all the music, all the records, all the hip records. And I even heard you say one time that they were, they'd be so into it, they wanted to see who could play a certain, a certain thing better or who would... Who would Who's more articulate on a horn or, or whatever? You know, That's really di dissecting the music. No, but see, you know, back in, back in the day, Nutter, I mean, like, uh, black families really, really, the jazz music was highbrow music for black families in the 50s, 60s. Uh, not taking anything away from, from R&B at the time, you know, because they're big hit people. But black music was represented by jazz music in the certain communities because it was always synonymous with upward moving. Right, right. You know, you you had to be of a you had to be on a certain level to play that music. I mean, and like the guys that. I listened to and respect Max Roach. Max Roach was always clean. He always yeah. had his suit on. And he was, you know, he played immaculately. And he was, looked immaculate. And he was always a person that I looked up to, especially musically because of the fact that there was something to attain. He was at a level that, you know, you had to, want to be able to get to that point. That was right. something that you tried to attain. Right. When you listen to John Coltrane's music, you listen to Miles' music, Sonny Rollins, all of the Thelonious Monk, Jackie McLean. Mm -hmm. All of these people were in the neighborhood. They were kings. That's right. You know, they were kings. Now, not taking any... James Brett, see, and I lived in Jamaica, Queens, James Brown, Jackie Robinson, Lena Horne, uh, Count Basie, they lived in my neighborhood. It was really deep. I mean, you know, they lived in the other side of the tracks, but they lived in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And so, like, there was all this music that was in the neighborhood that you would at least strive to be able to play with one of those people. So there was a purpose. As a young musician, there was a purpose. You wanted to represent your community. You know, and how you could represent your community is to be able to play with one of these masters. And then, you, oh, yeah, that's a young kid that plays with, yeah, you know, oh, yeah, okay, come on, what you need, what you need. You get whatever you need, you know. And it was a, a great time, a great time to grow up. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Hey, Lenny, man. You know, the people you play with are the best of the best of the best of the best. What, how did, or two questions. How did, how did you deal with any nervousness you might have in being around such, such lofty people? That's on one hand, I want to ask that question. And then any advice you can give somebody else who might be in that position? You know, 
Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure. See, because it, 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 with advice. Yeah. Advice comes from uh, going through a situ- getting through a situation yeah. that you personally had and how you handle that. You tell somebody, this is what I did. Right. And so that's advice. But that might not work for that other person that you tell it to. That's right. That's right. Because of the fact that uh, different circumstances and, you know, things don't align the same way for that person. But, yeah, you could tell somebody, this is what you need to do. You know, mm-hmm. the, the best advice is to, you know, be yourself. Be confident uh, and show that. I'll give you a point. Probably one of the best lessons I learned ever is on my very first record date. My very first record date was with Miles Davis. Now, there's a piece of music on the Bitches Brew session okay. called Miles Runs to Voodoo Down. <laughs> okay. Now, there are some outtakes of that where you can hear Jack and I playing on that. And, you know, Tony Williams was my mentor. I mean, I, you know, I was... 17 years old when I heard Seven Steps to Heaven. Yeah. On that record, Tony was 17 years old. You're both the same, okay. Immediately, that's my guy. I wanted to be able to do that, mm-hmm. play with Miles Davis. So two years later, I got the opportunity to do that. Wow. Beautiful. And so now, all of the wedding receptions and parties that I played in Jamaica, Queens with Weldon and all these people, we were playing funk. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, it was, it was, yeah, it was funk, funky music, because James Brown was still, I mean, That's he right. was doing it. Yeah. And so I probably played more funk than anybody else that was on that session. Right. So we get to this track, and Jack and I are, you know, playing a whole bunch of stuff, and that ain't what Miles wants. <laughs> okay. And he comes, he said, you ain't getting the chicken, you know? And I was like, uh. and so Don Elias, who was playing percussion, said, hey, Miles, I know what would work for that. And he played this really simple beat, simple, like, almost like a second line uh, uh, New Orleans beat. And Jack couldn't play it either. But he played it, and it laid. And so I wound up playing percussion on that track. I wanted to play Shekaray, you know. I had never played Shekaray before, but I saw how it worked and, you know, and so when the session, that session was over, I was like really despondent, man. I was like, I can't believe it, man. I got an opportunity to play with Miles Davis. And so I was sitting up in the corner and Miles came over and he said, what's, what's wrong? I said, yeah, you know, I wanna, he said, no, 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 no. That was cool. Be here tomorrow at 10 o'clock. And we're gonna do, you know, we're gonna do it again. And I got some confidence. But what I did not do 
I didn't ask what he wanted. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he would have told me, but mm-hmm. still, I just said, well, is this something that you're hearing? I didn't do that. So what time, sometimes what you have to do is when you get into a situation, you have to ask what's needed and wanted. And then you do the best that you can do to do what's needed and wanted. So I learned something that day. Um, and I got another opportunity to do that. And I've gone through all of my life since that point, that, that same way. What was it like playing with Jack? I just have to ask you. Oh, it was, it was, you know, see, I played, Tony Williams played with Jack and McLean. Right. At 16. Okay. Then he went and played with Miles. Right. Jack DeJunette played with Jack and McLean. And then he went and played with Miles. So when I played with Jack and McLean, it was, oh, man, you go play with Miles. I said, uh. And Jack came in one night and played melodica. And it was great. It was really beautiful, man. And so my perception, see, because I, I had done gigs with two drummers before that. I had played with Rashid Ali. Okay. And, and we, I had played with two. I played with Bobby Moses. Oh, okay. So my perspective was to make it sound like one drummer that had eight arms. Got it. And also, when Miles came to me, he did say to me, the only thing he said to me, he said, think of this as a big pot of stew. And I want you to be soft. So I had to. So I learned how to create music before I learned how to play it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was given an opportunity. I had to create in that situation, mm-hmm. given something that was not a musical command, or you know, or not look at a, a page with music on it. Just say, okay, this is what I need to do. That wasn't the case at all. Were you able to hear in your phones the way the way you liked? Was there ever a problem getting the hearing, you know, to be just the way you liked, or was it always great for you? You know what I'm saying? You're when you're when you're sitting. Oh, there I got I, phones and, I, you know what I mean. I got hear I got hearing I got hearing problems now from playing with <laughs> Al Miola and Stanley Clark. That's why I got <laughs> hearing problems now. <laughs> no, but back then, yeah. of course, it was it was a, a totally different perspective to be in the studio right. and to have all the sound that's around where all these instruments come into these little things that go over your ears. Mm-hmm. So you have to find a perspective, Yeah. you know, and you know, as much as recording and many recordings as, as you do and I've done, you know, you have to find another perspective when it comes to that. Yeah. And, and that's, something totally entirely different right you know right. um but but uh it was interesting it was kind of strange mm-hmm. but you know i i heard enough to be able to to have an imagination and not tune myself out that's it that's it you know what i mean that's it uh uh and it is interesting because we we know you know on that side of the glass is totally different than sitting on the other side of the glass and telling somebody how to get a sound how to do this how to do that Mm -hmm. you you know what i'm talking about i do i do yeah yeah so 
beautiful. So the last time I saw you, uh, we're upstairs uh, in the Blue Note. You were playing with George Cable and Stanley. It was a wonderful evening. And uh, I was always happy to see you. I think also there in the background of the audience was a young, young tiger coming up. Mike Mitchell, he was there. It was lovely just meeting him for the first time and saying hi to you too. So it was a great night. And um, it was fun. Yeah, right, exactly. For, for, for people that don't know, man, for the, for, the, for the people that don't know, can you help us understand the exhilaration, the high, the happiness you get when you play your drums? Okay, okay. the best way that I can say it, this is strange. I'm not, I'm not political. Yeah. Not political. Okay. But we're in the... <clears throat> the one thing that, that uh, I found to be true. Yes. Um, I've, I've had many opportunities to play with many, many people. And together, we have taken notes and changed people's lives. Right. You know, I can think back to the very first time that happened. And when it happened the first time, it motivated me to try to get that same feeling every time I played. Right. So... It was something that I strive to do, no matter. I, I, it happened with certain people, yeah. But you want to get that feeling every time you play with people, yeah. So that's what that's what motivates you and makes you wake up every day, yeah. To try to move people the same way that you moved them the last night that you played. Right. Whatever band that you're in, you had people were screaming and going like ah. And you try to recreate that very same thing the next night that you play. And so I'm saying that to say this. What's real to me is that the one thing that has never failed me is music. Music has given me a reason and a purpose. And votes are what people need to change how governmental things work. Mm -hmm. But I believe we can change how people think with the notes that we make as opposed to the votes that we have. Our notes really do change people's lives. You know it and I know it because we've witnessed it. We've seen it actually happen. I love your work also, I got to say, because we want to touch upon it, um, with Bill Connors in particular, uh, Seventh Galaxy, The Return to Forever, that early period going on, but I had to touch upon that because it was very, to me, I like the heart coming through big. We all have a lot of finesse, but those melodies that Bill Connors was playing, especially at that time, just <laughs> pierced the heart. And I just want to just, you know, just acknowledge oh, yeah. you to say, Fantastic. You know, oh, thank you. know, yeah. No, no, no. There, there's, there's a uh, a drum circle that I have with 
some friends of mine that I've known since 1969. Okay. And that's Michael Shreve. Right. Mike Clark. Right. Greg Arrico. Right. <laughs> and, and David Garibaldi. Wow. Greatness. We call, we, we call ourselves stick people. I love it. And, and there's, I was playing Return to Forever uh, one night. We were playing at the boarding house. And Billy Connors was in the band. Okay. And af after we played, Mike Shreve got us uh, into uh, Coast Recorders out in San Francisco. Okay. Which used to be CBS. Right. And we did a, a midnight session. It was Doug, Dougie Roush played bass, Billy Connors, uh, uh, Neil Sean, right. Herbie Hancock. Greg Rico and myself, and we record. Man, and we listened back to it the other day. It's killing. Right. It sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. It's great. Right. You know. Yeah. But you know, there was all that kind of stuff. I mean, on my big city record, I had uh, um, Neil Sean. Right. There he is again. And, uh, yeah. No. I, I, and and uh, um, it was really great to have guys that had another perspective and bring it into your perspective and you take your perspective and bring it into theirs perspective and and mash up you know that's what we you know that's what we did in the beginning you were singing and you know and, and, and all of that man and and that's cool i mean I, I had a track with ray gomez and neil sean playing on it and it was killer it was smoking it was great i want to hear i want to hear that I want to hear that. Oh now. yeah, it's, it's, it's called it's it's called, uh, and we meet again. Oh, it's yeah, on okay. the big it's on the big city record. Okay, I'm checking it again, man. Yeah, Neil Neil comes in here. We're recording some stuff for the journey. She's on the side. I know you at the very beginning of Journey, and now I've come to be part of the band for Journey. So, and and the way you play, yeah, I can see it. That's so deep. It's it was so deep. <laughs> no 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 no. You don't understand. It was so deep. You, you know what ha what happened? What happened was. I was playing with Azteca. Okay. And, uh, you know, what, what happened, Chick and Stanley came from Japan, and we played a week at the Kingstone Corner. And it was unbelievable music. It was so great. Because I had played with Stanley with uh, Joe Henderson, and I played with Chick with Miles. Right. But the three of us together, and, and it was fantastic. So at the last night... Billy Connors wow. and Barry Finnerty, because yes. they both lived in the Bay Area, sat in. Mm -hmm. And so after that gig, Chick said, I want to start an electric return to forever. And I, would you do it? And I said, well, I don't know, Chick. I'm in this band out here. So, you know. so I stayed, and they went back to New York, and Stevie Gadd played. Right. And so while I'm in San Francisco with, with Azteca, Herbie Herbert comes to me, and he says, hey, man, what are you doing? I said, I said, he said, listen, would you want to do a jam session with Neil and Ross? I said, yeah, sure. So Neil and Ross and I played, we went to uh, SIR, whatever, Senate, and played, and it was great. Mm -hmm. And so Greg Rowley had just left Santana, and so Neil and Ross came to me and they said, listen, you know, we're going to start this band with Greg. 
And we want to know, would you be into doing it? And by this time, Chick had called me back and said, come on, man, let's do Return to Forever. And I said, okay. So I went back to New York, but Journey was too bad. And Ainsley, Ainsley did it. You know, he did it first, you know. Mm-hmm. So now, are you guys going to do any touring? I mean, well, uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, you know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, we'll we'll see how the future unfolds. We'll see how the future unfolds. But right now, it's nice to be working, writing some composition. And, uh, right. Randy Jackson is back in this band. He's playing great bass. And uh, John came down in Florida, does all the great parts and writes and sings. And Arnell over in the Philippines doing great vocals. So it's nice. Yeah, he, he could sing. He could I sing. Know. See? Yeah. So it's, 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 it's all going to come together. Yeah. 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 I, 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 you give me a ticket, man. Okay, of course. Give me that. <laughs> hey, you know Lenny, man. So then um, I heard this piece this morning. I just want to talk about it again. It's uh, on the Venetian Summer. How fast the funk was, man, at that, at that time you wanted to feel. Your fire burned so intensely. We don't think about that so much. I mean, we, we, I do, I do. But then when I hear that piece, just like, you know what? All that was is James oh, Brown. All that was is James Brown, man. I know. Beautiful. And you, you know it. You Beautiful. know it. <laughs> yeah. You know. I know. <laughs> see, see, but, but like when, when you guys did... Um, What's the tune? Oh, geez. Oh, uh, with Mahavishnu. Uh, you, you and Ralph. What's the name of that tune, man? Can't Stand Your Funk. Can't Stand, you can't your, stand funk. your Funk. And, and there's another one. Is it Cosmic Slop? slop Cos- like cosmic Struck. That's my jam. Cosmic Struck. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and see, you know what was, what was cool about that? And, and you, you tell me. Okay. When when I was trying, when the drum sound that I was looking for was an open drum sound that was a cross between what Greg played with Sly and Elvin. And your drum sound sounded like that. It was an open sound when you were playing with John. Yeah. You know. To me, that's the way drums were supposed to really speak. And what's so deep is, check this out. I don't know if you know this. Okay. But but John Bonham was my guy playing rock and roll. Okay. Because of Led Zeppelin. Now, when I first got into Led Zeppelin, of course, Black Dog was my song. Okay. But then as I got more into it, in my time of dying was the track that I was totally into. Okay. So around this, this, this is now about, I don't know, 40 years ago, man. Right. I was in LA and I went to professional percussion. I mean, uh, uh, on Vine, the, the, you know, the drum shop on Vine. Okay. And there was a book on uh, the counter. It was John Bonham talking about being in the studio and doing all the different tracks that he did with Led Zeppelin. Right. Mm-hmm. Tell you the truth right now. Okay. 
I went to the section that talked about in my time of dying. And he said, by this time, we had been listening to more progressive music. Right. And I was listening to Tony Williams, Lenny White, yeah. and Alphonse Mouzon. That's right. That's, That's right. what John Bonham said. That's right. And I was That's like, right. I was right. like, right. Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, hey, man, you know, you do something, you never know who's going to hear it. That's right. People hear it, and certain notes or certain things that you do change people's lives. That's right. Because, Lenny, man, you understand the funk. Let's just say that as the fundamental tree but your imagination and your chops you gotta you gotta say this i have to say this to you you can facilitate any damn thing but you can hear it you can play it now that's what keeps you like fascinating to all of us you're pure with well, it man. you know the thing for me is i never really felt as though i had chops okay but what I have is an imagination. Yes, you do. And see, sometimes you take what it is, or what it is that you hear, you find another way to do it. Mm -hmm. Technique is how you get from point A to point B. You know, when people, it's really deep, because I was talking to, to uh, David Galbaldi the other day, because okay. we lost Rocco. You know, Rocco. Yes, that's right. Great. That's right. <laughs> And Dave said, Rocco would go to a rehearsal and he'd listen to the music and he'd find what to play and it would be killing. Mm -hmm. And then they'd go the next day to record it and Rocco would have forgotten everything that he did. Everything. Because he didn't have a technical way to do it. He did what felt right. And Dave would laugh. He said, man, because if he had gone to school or if he'd have been technical about what he did, he wouldn't have played it that way. That's right. You know? That's right. And, and to a certain degree, those early years, that's the way I was thinking. That's right. In 2000, I got with a friend of mine who was a great drum instructor. And I said, I want to take lessons. He said, why? I said, well, because I want to learn the correct sticking for what I did back all those years. So I listened to what I had played with Return to Forever and all that stuff to, to apply correct sticking to that. I couldn't play none of the stuff that I played. <laughs> it took me hours to play that with correct sticking. I was like, man, what's going on here? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. so again, my, my my perception wasn't about chops per se. Right. It was about hearing what I heard and getting and finding the best way to get that on my instrument. Mm -hmm. And whatever technique that was, that's what it was. Yeah, but then and, you and, say, but then you say Tony Williams was your guy. You, you know oh, I mean? man. So then, I, you but go. you see, Tony Williams was a genius. Yeah. 
he was a genius that used drums to get across what it is that he heard. See, that's a different perspective. He was an excellent drummer, and he not only was he cognizant about what he played, but how he looked when he played it. Wow. That was very important for him to look right and correct. Because all of the guys, Max and Philly Joe and all that, you look at the hands and what it is that they do. It's artistry. It's artistry. So Tony was very cognizant of that and wanted to make that also part of the whole package of what he did. And, you know, he he taught me a, he taught me a lot of stuff by just talking to me. And he's the reason why I played on Red Clay and Bitches Brew. Okay. Because Freddie Hubbard had asked him to be on that record with, with Ron and Herbie. And Ron and Herbie and Tony were doing everybody's records back then. And Miles was pissed because Miles was doing everybody's. So they had made a, a pact that they wouldn't do records as a rhythm section. And so when Freddie asked Tony to do it, Tony said, no, you should call Lenny White. Wow, man, I love that. I love that. It's true. Yeah, I love it. I love it. You know? It's beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. God, man, beautiful, beautiful. Well, Lenny, man, um, you've done so much. We love you. Thanks for your time today. Anything you want to say to us, uh, your fans, the listeners today, um, anything you want to say, we're all ears to you. I, I, you know, I don't know if there's anything that I'd, I'd want to say. I, I, I would hope uh, that I've said a lot with what I've done. Yes. And the only thing that I can say is there's a lot more to come. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm doing things now that are totally outside of my comfort zone and I'm realizing uh, and reshaping who I'm becoming Beautiful. by the music that I'm trying to make right now. Yeah, man. Well, I know everything you do is going to be beautiful. So I'm your fan. I'm with you 100%. Anything I can ever do with you, I'd love to do something with you at some point in our futures. No, we will. Yeah, we will. <laughs> we will. <laughs> we will. <laughs> hey, man. Thanks again. Love you so much. Love you, Nada. Yeah. And, and I mean, keep 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 them hits coming, baby. Okay. Okay. And you yes, too. Yes, sir. <laughs> you too. <laughs> okay, Lenny. All the love, bro. Well, I told you. I told you. I told you. This is the great one, Lenny, the great historian who's lived from Queens, New York, where it all came down over there in New York. So much history and love and, and romance and and sincerity and purity god bless you lenny for your time on this great interview and we look forward to hearing lots more from you always and and we love you lenny thank you thank you thank you this is your brother nardo michael walden saying god bless you bye-bye
Thank you, everybody, for watching this week's Modern Drummer Podcast. Stay tuned for next week's episode exclusively on Podcast One. Until then, stay safe and healthy, and thanks for listening and watching. American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.